This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we talk about books and the headlines and recommend to you new reads. I'm Olivia Ho and I am joined today remotely by my co-host To Wen Li. Hello. Now today we're going to be talking about two strange new novels of a tinge or more of the supernatural. The first is Lurkers by Sandy Tan and the second is Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho. So you may know Sandy Tan for her 2018 award-winning film Shirkers. It was shortlisted for Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars and it won a World Cinema Documentary Directing Award at the Sundance Film Festival. But she is also a novelist and she made her fiction debut in 2012 with the historical horror epic The Black Owl. Now, Lurkers is her first work since Shirkers. The two names kind of rhyme. Is there some connection between the two? Well, she says that there isn't, but um, it's a pure coincidence. But at the same time, it's mm. quite interesting if you set up the parallels between the two, because she said that shirking is, you know, avoiding, removing yourself from the narrative, deferring something, whereas lurking is being very present. You're, you know, sort of being there even when people don't necessarily want you to be there. You're just hanging about. So it's uh, it's quite interesting to compare the two. And there are also a lot of uh, other thematic resonances, which we're going to get into later. So Shirkus is set in this suburb near Los Angeles, which is where uh, Sandy Tan lives now. She uh, she grew up in Singapore, uh, which is also where Shirkus is set. And then she moved to the US in the mid 2000s, post, uh, sometime post 9-11, which she says was a time when there was a great paranoia in the air about you know strangers and other people. Yeah, and the characters live in this place called Santa Claus Lane, right? Which I, I think is an actual place. I, I tried looking it up on the map. Santa Claus Lane in California. I do wonder how people, the people of Santa Claus Lane, feel about that. Um, <laughs> yes, so she, she paints this very strange um, suburb where everyone is sh- sort of like shut up in their houses and they're watching other people through the windows. They're being watched by other people. And uh, I feel that that's very unconsciously apropos for this moment of face to heightened alert that we're living in anyway this um this novel is a very strange it's a very <laughs> uh bonkers novel i find it deranged uh, it has this immense chaotic energy which is next level uh, so the the premise is that all the houses in the suburb they're each kind of representative of a different genre there's like a ho- this horror this crime thriller there's coming of age immigrant drama and they all sort of collide and uh, you know bleed over into one another with you know if with strange and demented effects the, all the characters are very kooky there's a there's an Asian horror novelist Raymond Vanderholt there's a Vietnam War orphan who was adopted into America's suburbia and she's grown up into this disaffected um, this affected woman. Her name's Kate Ireland because uh, her mother was Mary Sue Ireland, but she's Vietnamese. Uh, then there's the Parks. They're this Korean immigrant family. The father is a pastor and the daughters are these teenage rebels. And uh, one day the, the pastor, Mr. Park, he kills himself and his wife you know she's she doesn't have she can't work she's been a housewife most of her life at her wit's end she decides that the teenage daughters need to be shipped back to south korea and the daughters rosemary and miracle uh, they are very keen to remain in california which is the whole world that they've known and they don't want to go back to korea so they resort to these increasingly 
harebrained schemes to stay where they are. And uh, Rosemary, she's 15 years old. She's experiencing the sexual awakening. She's embarked on this very strange relationship with her charismatic, sinister teacher. It's called Mr. Z. And he gives her rides home and he coaches her on kissing. So I think people who are familiar with Shirkers will uh, sort of make a link between this and the relationship that Sandy Tan had with George Cardona, who is this mysterious American film teacher who was her mentor when she was a teenager. And he directed the original film of Shirkers that she made with her friends. And then he stole the reels of Shirkers and uh, the film just disappeared into the ether for 20 years. And she only got them back after his widow contacted her he had died and then the widow found all the reels in in their home and it was because of this that she then went out to make sure because you know which came out in 2018 but yeah so i don't i wouldn't say that it's exactly the same relationship but it's there there is this mapping of new of strange tense like this dance between you know um very sinister mentor figures and young women who uh, are not adolescent, less, <laughs> adolescent females, adolescent females who are precocious, impressionable, and who are not necessarily entirely innocent. They they have their own agendas. They you know they want they also want something from this relationship, but it's it could be very dangerous, and you know it's so so possibly very intense and thrilling. So it's interesting how she circles back on adolescence in both of these works. So it's not necessarily always a biological age, it's also a state of mind. So uh, one of the things that happens in this book is that the adults seem to be trapped in these patterns that they struggle to mature beyond. And her teenagers are always exploring transgression. And there are a lot of loops in the novel. There are lots of names and signs that symbols that are repeated, replicated, and in ways that are never fully explained. And you know, I don't think that she intends them to be explained. So I found it very funny. Um, it's, also, it's, it's kind of horrific at parts. And it's also kind of funny. Uh, there's one part where Mira, who is a younger daughter of the Korean family, she is very dramatic. She reacts all the time to the news of her impending Korean exile in these very melodramatic ways. Like she will slide off the kitchen chair and be like, leave me alone, I need to pray, uh, which actually I found weirdly relatable. <laughs> and also Tan is capable of very abject horror. So there's a scene in which Kate, the Vietnam War orphan, she, because she was very young when she was taken from Vietnam and she was on this plane where uh, most of the, with all these other orphans and the plane crashed. So she survived, but she has all these subconsciously buried memories. In puberty, she has these nightmares, uh, recurring nightmares of the crash that she doesn't remember. And one of the memories is of this headless body of a little girl seesawing half in, half out of an airplane window, which is it's a very striking image. But yeah. I actually think that uh, at first it took me a while to get into this book. When I was reading it, I was like, what is going on? This is nuts. But after a while, I reread it. And then actually, then I found it oddly endearing. Yeah. I was quite taken by this book the first time I read it. It was, it was just, I found it very entertaining, maybe because it's written in such a cinematic way. And I, and I do like how strange it feels, right? This, this bunch of misfits, cast-offs gathered together in this place called Santa Claus Lane. It just felt like a slice of suburban life in Bizarro World. It was just <laughs> it's just so 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 full of eccentric characters. I think people have different views about this novel. A quick glance at the Goodreads page for um, Lurkers will will tell you that you know it currently has a three point two star rating and there are people who who take issue with how the characters are just unlikable, selfish and, and so on. But maybe I'm a sucker for misanthropes, I don't know, but I found it really engaging. 
I don't know why characters have to be likable to they get don't. star ratings. <laughs> yeah, they don't. I think it's actually one of the strengths of the book that they're all so, you know, madly unlikable and, and at times like down and horrible. It's very entertaining. Yeah, uh, just what you want to read about them, right? I mean, one, one thing that did strike me was this reference to John Huizinga's The Waning of the Middle Ages, which also happens to be the book's epigraph. It's a, it's a famous quote that, that I think appeared on a couple of university exam papers in medieval literature when I was a student. So it, um, I'll, I'll just quote the, the line here. It says, um, so violent and motley was life that it bore the mixed smell of blood and roses. The men of that time always oscillate between the fear of hell and the most naive joy, between cruelty and tenderness, between harsh ascetism and insane attachment to the, to the delights of the world, between hatred and goodness, always running to the extremes. So it feels strangely appropriate um, when used in the context of Sandy Tan's novel. It also feels slightly jarring. What is this quote about medieval, um, the, the Middle Ages, the Western Middle Ages, doing a book set in California? But it does make sense to me. And Sandy Tan's writing is colorful. It oscillates between extremes. So it does feel oddly appropriate. Did you like the ending, though? I think I found the ending almost ridiculously unbelievable. It was... But it was safe. <laughs> Only the ending was unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to make sense of it, but it worked. I think. I, th- I think. I think it was. It was appropriate. Yeah, I suppose it possesses its own demented charm. Now, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe to our podcast series. Bookmark this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating too. Back to our show and on to our next book. So our next book is Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho. Zen is a Malaysian lawyer based in the UK, and I love her books. I'm a huge fan of the Sorcerer to the Crown duology, uh, which they're Regency romances, but they have this post-colonial twist to them. So think Georgia Heyer, but with Pontianaks and Toyols and all that good stuff. So Blackwater Sister, however, brings us back to Malaysia in the present day. And heroine is Jessamine Teo. She's a Harvard graduate. She can't find a job. She's gone back from the US where she grew up to Penang to live with her parents. And her family has kind of fallen on hard times because of her dad's illness. So they have to live in the house of Jess's aunt and work for Jess's uncle's company, which is a bit low-key embarrassing for them because, you know, they're supposed to be um, doing well on their own, but they have to rely on the kindness of their relatives. And Jess is also a closeted lesbian, and she's trying to conduct this long-distance relationship with her girlfriend in the U.S. under her very conservative relatives' noses. So there's a lot going on here. Very... I know, normal millennial crisis, I guess. But <laughs> things start to get weird when Jess hears this voice in her head. The voice speaks Hokkien, which Jess is not fluent in, and it turns out that the voice is a dead grandmother. So her ama used to be this medium for this vengeful local goddess called Blackwater Sister, who manifests as a small Chinese woman with a blank face but is nevertheless inexplicably terrifying. Just describes her as a whole punched out of a sane world, a channel for the sublime or the horrific. Through her, the unthinkable was made real. Now, because she's being haunted by her ama, Jess gets dragged into this war between the temple where the Blackwater Sisters Shrine is located and the real estate tycoon who wants to redevelop the whole property. And because he used to be a gangster, or maybe still is a gangster, he you know, is using these ties to uh, silence the people who go against him. And she also touches on 
a lot of other themes, such as migrant worker rights. For instance, the migrant workers who work on the property that is being redeveloped are endangered by the Blackwater sister. And there's also the regentrification of heritage neighbourhoods of all Malaysia, uh, as well as the domestic abuse and violence against women. So I'm going to read a scene from the book in which Jess goes to the temple to meet the tycoon San Shang. He's a hipster cafe entrepreneur. The garden was teeming. People perched on the roofs of the shrines, smoking, drinking, and eating snacks. Others were gliding along the paths or clustered around the plants. A small wild banana tree had three women somehow sitting in it, gossiping. Except they weren't women, but spirits. They were all spirits. Jess had asked Ama to mark her eyes, opening them again to the spirit world. If she was venturing into the Blackwater sisters' domain, she figured she'd better be able to see what was going on. She hadn't bargained on there being so much to see. Fortunately, the spirits didn't seem interested in Jess. They glanced up briefly at her approach before going back to what they were doing, though a couple nodded to Ama as if they recognized her. Hey, how are you? They said pleasantly. Died already, is it? This was all lost on Shum. Weird. I don't have reception, he said. Is your phone working? A notification popped up as Jess checked her phone. A message from mom reminding her not to eat the nanka and the tupperware in the fridge, but only the nanka in the plastic bag because the tupperware nanka was gokos, and if Jess touched it, she would inevitably spark civil war. Jess didn't even like nanka. So one of the things I especially enjoy about this book is the matter-of-fact juxtaposition between the supernatural and the mundane, which would in other parts of the world be called magical realism. But, you know, coming from this part of the world where I think a lot of us grow up with this, these traditions of superstition and handu and seven month, it's just kind of part and parcel of our everyday lives. And so I think it's quite nice to see this world of shrines and small gods and superstition and intangible cultural heritage get a look in, especially in a novel like this one. And such a fun novel, isn't it? And I, yes. I love the subtle humor. There's one, there's one bit in the book where the mom says, um, she can't be a medium. She graduated from Harvard, <laughs> as if there's anything to do with it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it because it, it, maybe partly because it felt so familiar to me. Someone from Singapore and also has some family in Penang. I feel that she gets the Manglish just right. I mean, the, the language feels completely natural. It's not forced. And there is this fluid, limpid quality to her writing, which I really enjoy. And I also do feel that she doesn't go too much at length into explaining the Manglish or the local culture to people. There's no glossary. There are no like little footnotes. She just sort of goes into it. And even though Jess is sort of a foreigner in a way because she grew up elsewhere and she's sort of re-seeing all of this for the first time, there isn't this sense of pandering to a non-Malaysian audience. Yeah, I mean, I think the reader is expected to be able to grasp all this intuitively. And Mm -hmm. I think they can. Yeah, and it's 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 a very relatable millennial crisis. I think um, Cho evokes the sense of emptiness that you feel just after you've graduated. You know, your twenties can be a really really confusing time, sort of existential anxieties. Um, and um, Jasmine, the, uh, the the protagonist, has it even harder because she's possessed. <laughs> so so I um, mean, she and, and throughout she asks this question of who am I, right? This question of identity. Um, there's one section in the novel where she says, um, the narrator says, she wasn't Malaysian or American just as she wasn't straight, but she definitely wasn't gay, if anyone was asking. She wasn't a family's min, but she wasn't the Jess who had a life under that name, before her dad had gotten sick. Her beautiful life with her beautiful girlfriend, her friends, her creative projects, her ambitions, it all seemed far away now. No wonder Ama had found it easy to get into her head. She was a walking nothing, a hole in the universe, perfect for letting the dead through. 
So it's an interesting conceit, I think, the sense of emptiness, being a vessel for what other people want to foist on you. Yeah, and she talks about the familial pressures to repay her parents. That There's a lot of inter- intergenerational relationships in, depicted in here, which I kind of enjoy. There's a very hilarious scene in which um, <laughs> I think the Blackwater sister has appeared outside the house and uh, she doesn't, she's trying to protect her mother and her relatives from seeing the Blackwater sister, but, you know, she can't you know, not let on that something weird is happening. She admits to them what's happening. Her mother is just very practically just goes and yells for her aunt and her aunt who is Christian comes in with like a crucifix and, you know, <laughs> marches up to the window and is like, get out, go away. And yeah, it's just all these, um, in, in these in family conflicts, which are all grounded and born on love. Yeah, and she also captures how gossipy relatives can be too. You know, it felt it felt so natural reading it. Yeah, so I think if you all those people who miss going across the causeway to see your family or to just hang out in Penang, uh, guess this book is for you. Anyway, that's what we have for you this episode. Once again, thank you for listening to us. I'm Olivia Hope, and I'm Tao Wen Li. You have been listening to our Bookmark This podcast, which you can subscribe to on your favorite smartphone audio apps: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and rate us. Stay home, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3.